0: Welcome to IEEE Robots Podcast. Uh, Could you please introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Ben Gertzel, the CEO and founder of uh, Singularity Net blockchain-based AI platform. And I've been doing AI and uh, various applications of AI for more than 30 years.
0: Mm -hmm. So I'm really interested to ask you, when you were a child, have you ever think about robotics or intelligent system, and how it was uh, seems to you uh, when you were a kid?
1: I would say the the first robots I saw were science fictional ones rather than real ones. I remember seeing a a robot on the the original Star Trek TV show, which would have been in uh, 1969, maybe or something. It was. A, just a little kid, and uh, it was a, a robot that had been voyaging around through space and wreaking some havoc. It had some uh, some software bugs, and then uh, Spock and Kirk were trying to deactivate it by, by driving it crazy, basically. And they, they got it into some endless loop by presenting with a logic error. And I remember as a little kid, maybe three years old, I thought, that was really stupid. I thought, well, why can't this robot deal with illogical things just just like a a person can if if it's if it's so smart. And that that TV show got me curious, and I discovered uh, science fiction books, uh, you know, Robert Heinlein, and Asimov, and so on. Shortly shortly thereafter, so that that uh, certainly woke me up to the idea of robots and AIs, and then uh, Stanislaw Lem superhuman AIs and so forth. But uh, it wasn't clear to me at that young age that these were things that could really be built within my lifetime as opposed to just uh, physically possible things that were 500 or or, or 1,000 years in in the future. So I think uh, when I read Douglas Hofstadter's book, Gordel Escherbach Bach, in the late 1970s, Mm-hmm. That's when I got more of an introduction to like the real academic AI field and concrete work being done toward building AI. And then I started thinking, well, maybe this is something mm-hmm. I can help out during during my lifetime. Which uh, you know, the AI field has been around since really the 1930s, even though it was named in 1959 or something. So uh, even coming to it in the late 70s, I, I was I was played in the game. But compared to now, those seem like very, very primitive, old fashioned times, right? Because AI was still sort of off in a little corner rather than at the center of uh, industry and government. So,
0: yeah, so if I ask you from your experience, uh, how you define a robot, because there is a lot of definition, but sometimes we don't really understand what's the proper definition or how we can say that a robot, an intelligent robot, so how you can define a robot?
1: Well, I don't think robot is a natural category in 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 the sense that there's necessarily such a crisp definition to it. I mean, clearly, a robot is a physical device that has perception through sensors and action through actuators, and then some uh, some Control logic that tells it what to do based on what it perceives, but then you know how how intelligent or adaptive something has to be in order to be considered a robot as opposed to just a a simpler machine. I guess there's not really such a principled answer to that. It's 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 a little bit probably a little bit arbitrary. Like. I mean, is a toaster with a sensor in it a robot because it chooses when to pop up the toast based on sensing uh, when when the bread is done? Or I mean, why why is a why is a smart toaster not a robot, but a a Roomba is a robot just because the Roomba rolls around? I mean, then mm-hmm. how about a, a at what point does a mechanical arm in a factory become a a robot rather than just a mechanical component? I mean, I, I guess. In the end, where to draw the boundary regarding that fuzzy distinction doesn't matter too much.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, if I ask you how, how do you see the progress since you have been now 30 years, how do you see the progress of robotics? And we have a fashion about AI. So, do you think that there is a hype? The, uh, because we see some, some people are really pissed off because of all the hype that uh, AI algorithms can solve everything, which is not true. But how do you see this kind of, uh, the fashion we have, fashion have in AI and and also robotics progress over these 30 years in AI?
1: I think both robotics and AI have advanced tremendously in 30 years. On the other hand, they haven't advanced in the exact direction that people expected them to, nor in, in the exact direction that that I necessarily would, would, would have liked them to, but they've certainly advanced tremendously. I mean, think humanity has been around in its civilized form for maybe ten thousand years. For most of that time, how much happened in thirty years? Like not 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 too much happened between you know three hundred BC and two hundred and forty BC or something. So, I mean, the last thirty years has been amazing progress if you consider. In, this, in the 70s, I mean, AI did almost nothing of any, any practical use. It was pretty much a research curiosity with a few simple military applications. And, the, you know, it could play checkers. And, I mean, robots back then were in the, in the university robotics lab. There, there weren't robots. Doing anything in factories, and, and there weren't uh, humanoid robots holding holding a conversation with you. There certainly weren't, you know, drones or, or robot vacuum cleaners around. So there's no doubt there's been tremendous progress. If you compare the 1970s to now, when we have you know Boston Dynamics and, and Sophia and uh, and Google and uh, you know. Go and deep math and so forth. Now, there hasn't been as much progress toward realizing the dreams of science fiction as one might have thought if one were a really starry-eyed techno optimist back in the '70s. I mean, like, like, like I was as soon as I read Ursula Lester and then started plunging into the AI research literature. I mean. We don't have that much progress on you know, humanoid robots that walk down the street and looking at them just like people. I mean, I spent I spent four years working with the Sophia mm-hmm. robot with Anson Robotics. We made some progress, but clearly we're not we're not there to the level of what you guys have in Asimov's novels, right? And I mean we're not we're not there in terms of either the AI to have full human level understanding mm-hmm. and we're not there in terms of robotics that can walk or reach and grasp like like people and i mean i think we could be uh, that's just not where humanity has put its resources i mean the amount of work that's going into video surveillance and uh placing ads on people's web pages or making drones to to blow people up or automate car factories i mean that amount of resources and effort vastly outstrips the effort that's gone into making general intelligences or or humanoid robots so i mean to to a large extent we've gotten what we paid for right and and we did get a lot of what we paid for so i i think there's been tremendous success but i'm I'm hoping that after these few decades of interesting success we're now going to see you know, a fraction of uh, resources at least get directed toward these uh, more ambitious goals. I mean, complementing ongoing work on the, on the practical, commercial and, and industrial goals that have dominated things so far.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, in 2009, uh, you said that it's up to 10 years we can reach a human level intelligence, like artificial general intelligence but we still not reached this level no, yet.
1: Actually, that the title of that talk was that uh, yeah, we can get to the singularity in 10 years if we really, really try. And uh, clearly humanity has not been really, really trying. I mean, we've been focusing as a species our attention on a whole bunch of other things, like fighting deepest wars against each other and placing better ads on... on people's web pages and a whole whole, whole lot of uh, fundamentally much less important things we certainly we haven't yet seen anything resembling like a manhattan project for agi i mean instead most ai phds are being sucked up by companies doing uh, advertising uh, surveillance uh, financial trading right so i mean what I meant at that time wasn't that it was inevitable that we would get human-level AGI within 10 years, and just seemed like the core technologies and concepts were there with focus, it could be done. But focus didn't come. Some of us were focused on it, but uh, I mean, it's a it's a it's a big thing, right? I mean, just like uh, going to the moon wasn't going to happen because a few. While that visionary saw it was possible and saw how to do it, that there was hundreds of thousands of people funded in a coordinated effort to to make the Apollo missions, and we haven't had that sort of of dedication to AGI uh, humanoid robotics and you know, goals like that. Partly, I think, because people are afraid of what might happen if we did. Right? I mean, part of the reason we haven't seen that focus is. Companies are focused on quarterly profits and nations are are, are focused on just uh, dominating other nations Mm -hmm. and they don't want to put money into something that will take five or ten years to to bear dramatic fruit. But part of it is just uh, not everyone is so sure that creating human-level AGI would really be a good idea. Many people would rather have AIs that don't have general understanding and just serve as human tools doing very specific things cleverly.
0: Mm -hmm. So if I ask you about what is misconception do you think or why we can't reach the level of understanding how our brain works? It is too complex but do you think how how we can reach this kind of understanding or replicating systems can really understand like human being? Is there a misconception do you think? or how you see this experience in the, in the well, search for now
1: there's been a lot of misconceptions mm-hmm. right i mean i think uh, certainly one sort of misconception is that there's something mystical or magical somehow in human biology that lets humans have a kind of general intelligence that computers can't have like people think well a computer can only do what it's programmed to do whereas humans can uh can act with true creativity and, and and spontaneity and i mean i that seems just fundamentally illogical to me because if you look at known physics we could just as well say like you know the human brain and body it's a quantum system that will just evolve evolve according to its current state, according to the wave function. I mean, if we look at science, we don't see mystical creativity and uh, imagination and spontaneity in humans or, or in computers. Which isn't to say that there isn't some mystical component to the to the world or to humans or, or to computers, right? It's it's just it's just saying that uh, during that distinction between human brains and computers, it's saying there's something fundamental missing from computers and robots is that uh, doesn't seem well-grounded to me. That's just wish, wishful thinking, I would, I, would, I would say. But then another kind of misconception, which is commonality is in the opposite direction. Like, people think we're going to get to human-level AI just by training a bigger and bigger deep mm. neural network on more and more data, right? And I think it's, it's not going to be that simple either i mean you, you need a system which has a, a real cognitive architecture and can learn to achieve various goals based on the contexts that it that it perceives that it interacts with the world and builds up a model of of, of, its, of itself in the world and deep neural nets may well play a significant role mm-hmm. in an agi architecture but you can't just train a neural net model and a bunch of data and get an, an agi to to come out so yeah you know, on the one hand there's misconceptions that lead people to think human level agi and human-like robots will be impossible on the other hand there's misconceptions that lead people to think the problem of human level agi is of the same character as the problem of face recognition and the problem of making fully-functional human-like robots is of the same character as making an industrial robot or, or, or a Roomba. And I think uh, the truth is, it's very possible to scientifically you know, design and engineer and, and deploy human-level AGI's and human-like robots. But it does require a sort of a complex systems way of thinking, and it, it requires autonomous agents learning from their from their experience rather than simple pattern recognition system.
0: Mm-hmm. So if I ask you what could be the solution so that we can reach this direction or have us try this to make sure that one day we have this AGI. However, when I see some people comments about AGI, they see it like it's kind of, will not happen, it's as far beyond uh, what we have in reality. So if I ask you, because there is a lot of debate uh, in the field, uh, if we're coming to ask about robotics, because we have physical robotics and we have to implement uh, deep learning, classical AI or hybrid system, this kind of debate uh, between uh, different research groups, what could be the right approach. So from your eyes, ha- how you would see uh, we, we, how we can go in, in this direction? Do you think everyone is really in a good terms with AGI? Or you think is, is there still a lot of debate about that from your eyes?
1: Well, I think the situation has changed very dramatically over the last couple of decades. When I organized the first AGI workshop in 2006, and then the first international AGI conference in 2008, I mean, then these events had very much the feeling of a few crazy uh, visionary mavericks uh, gathered together in a little conference room and, you know, going against the the trend of of all the lions in, 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 in the field who thought AGI was a joke suitable only for science fiction. And now, of course, there's been a big change. You have organizations funded with billions of, of us dollars like OpenAI and google DeepMind, mind that are explicitly focused on agi and you know national leaders know what agi is and are thinking about their agi strategy as part of their national ai strategy and you can you can give talks and publish papers on human level ai or superhuman super intelligence whereas 20 years ago, these things were mostly suitable only to discuss like uh, in the bar after work, not in the department seminar or in the professional journal. So we've seen a tremendous movement toward AGI positivity and legitimation of the pursuit of AGI, Mm -hmm. but it's still still underway, right? So I I mean, certainly there's still... There are still people in the AI field who think that human-level AGI will never happen. That it will come only a thousand years from now. But that's a smaller and smaller percentage of the of of the field. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I I think that trend will continue. I mean now. Now, a lot of the AGI pessimists are saying, well, we won't get to human-level AI for another 50 years, and optimists in the mainstream are saying, well, it could be 10 years, right? And I mean, that's, that's an amazing shift if you consider that, you know, 20 years ago, the majority of the field it was going to be hundreds to thousands of years or, or, or never. hmm
0: so that's interesting. I would like to ask about, in terms of computation, if we would like to, the idea of mind uploading, and that's that's something you highlighted before, how we can replicate something like our brain. So do you think in that case we have to shift from uh, more law and go into something like is it cognitive architecture? And do you think that we have also to replicate exactly how the human brain working, or we have to go to abstraction level? Do you still think about how we can go in this direction? Yeah. Mind
1: uploading, of course, is a separate issue from creating virtual synthetic humans, which itself is a separate issue from creating human-level thinking machines. And they're all interesting, but different. So most of my work on AGI For example, with the OpenCog architecture, most of my work has been aimed at making human-level thinking machines that aren't really like virtual synthetic humans. They don't have to think so much like people. They they, they just have to be as generally intelligent as people and then able to understand themselves and improve themselves and get, get more and more intelligent. Now, if you want to make something that is intelligent in a very, very closely human-like way, then you have a different sort of, of challenge because so much of our human intelligence is really tied to to our bodies. And I mean, how, how I think about a bunch of squirrels running around in the park, I mean, it's very much tied to my experience as a human hike, hiking in, in, in the forest, as a human who breathes and eats like the squirrels do and so forth. I mean, my the metaphors I would think of, the intuitions I would have are heavily tied to my human body and my experience uh, living for 53 years in the human body. So how to, how to get that in an AI that doesn't have a human-like body and and experience that doesn't have skin that wasn't born never had sex whatever right i mean that's that's an interesting problem and then making a synthetic human that is almost exactly like an existing human like me or you that's even an, even a different hard problem right and and uh, probably yeah that is a robotics as much as an ai problem because if you if we uploaded my mind or your mind into some computer program mm-hmm. that didn't have a body like your body or my body to control, I mean, then that uploaded mind would rapidly drift into something very very different than than its initial condition, right? Because if you took a human mind and divorced it from the body it's connected to, I mean, it can't be a human mind in a traditional sense, it's gonna rewire itself and adapt in, in, in a different way. So yeah, we, we really, you're gonna to have to either, you know, do molecular 3D printing of a very good simulacrum of a human body or make some virtual human body in, in a virtual world to host your uploaded mind. Now, there is absolutely no fundamental physics obstacle to doing that, right? which means it's probably going to happen as technology ad- advances. But my guess is it will be a human-level AGI, which is operating a bit differently than humans, but at the same and then a superior intellectual level. It will probably be a human-level AGI that, that figures out how to make synthetic humans and mind uploads. I think we're going to get to human-level AGI first. Mm-hmm. Before we do
0: those other things, so I'm curious about uh, asking about intelligence because I think you said before that uh, I think in your experience that human is not the really most intelligent creature. So um, this is really interesting. Can you please elaborate more about that?
1: If you investigate the notion of intelligence from a theoretical point of view. As, for example, Marcus Huger did in his book, Universal AI, I mean, you quickly come to the conclusion that human beings are not all that generally intelligent Mm -hmm. compared to what would be possible with with an engineered system or or what might exist on some other planet in, in an evolved system. If you characterize general intelligence for example, as the ability to optimize computable reward functions in computable environments, which is how Marcus Hutter, uh formalizes it mathematically. I mean, humans are probably better at that than cockroaches, mice, or AlphaGo, but we're not that good at it, like for, for example, I can run a maze in two dimensions. Okay, if you put me in a maze in 407 dimensions, I'll perform very poorly. Yet that solving a 407 dimensional maze is also, you know, it's also optimizing a, a computable reward function in a computable environment. And you can envision plenty of AIs that can solve that much better than people because they they can adapt their visual systems to any dimensionality. So I, I think when you start looking at general intelligence from a math point of view, instead of just looking at it from a strictly human point of view, mm-hmm. um, you, you come to the conclusion like humans are uh, nowhere near the most generally intelligent possible system, and in fact, you come to the conclusion that we're we may be around the minimum generally intelligent system able to understand what general intelligence is. So we're just barely smart enough to understand what intelligence is and that Mm. we are kind of intelligent but not that intelligent. But, you know, being around the minimal generally intelligent systems that are smart enough to understand general intelligence, that's important because that means we're smart enough to engineer something smarter than us, right? Whereas, you know, a chimp maybe almost as generally intelligent as a human, Mm -hmm. but it's not quite smart enough to engineer a system smarter than it should. So we're we're not that smart, but we're just barely over the smartness threshold that lets us build something smarter than ourselves. And that's a very, very critical threshold, right? Because after we've built something smarter than ourselves, it's going to build something even smarter than it and, and so forth. And then you're into the intelligence explosion, aka technological singularity.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I ask you about thing net, because maybe many people would like to know what is the role of alerted net, because you like something very interesting about the um, people divided between being optimistic and pessimistic about how this AI systems may be manipulated by some companies or dominated by nations. And if you can explain the role of thing net and what the challenges you have recently and how they can contribute and solve the issue. Uh, for having, as you say, decentralized AI. If you can tell it more about sure. this.
1: Yeah. So, Singularity Net is a blockchain-based AI platform, which is basically a set of tools and protocols that allows a bunch of different AIs hosted in different places to communicate and coordinate together so that they can outsource work to each other, share data with each other, supply questions and answers to each other, and coordinate into an overall intelligent network. Marvin Minsky, one of the great early AI pioneers, had the idea of the society of minds, the idea that an intelligence could be created by networking together a bunch of smaller and more specialized intelligences so that the individual mind was a sort of self-organized society of of agents. And SingularityNet attempts to realize that by creating a way for different AIs written by different people living in different places to coordinate and cooperate together, to make an overall network whose intelligence can be, you know, greater than the sum of the intelligences of the, of the parts. And blockchain technology plays a role there because that's a way for a network of agents to coordinate without having any centralized controller, like as the master of the, of the coordination.
0: Mm-hmm. So if I ask you why you are so optimistic about the uses of this uh, decentralized AI in different location, because you know, that's something very interesting that uh, people from different demographic regions can really contribute and make already business out of yeah. it, and this is very I mean, I, very interesting point.
1: Yeah, I think I think that uh, we've seen a few different cases in recent history where decentralized networks and methodologies have proved extremely valuable and ultimately more impactful than their centralized uh, analogs. The internet is one, right? I mean, the internet is, there's a few centralized aspects, domain name management, and so on. But basically, internet is a decentralized network that allows different networks and devices to talk together then you know linux and the whole open source mm-hmm. development community that led to it is a decentralized
0: mm-hmm. human
1: network for for creating software without without any company or single entity in, in charge of it as forked many different linuxes and and yet the whole organization of linux keeps growing so i think in a similar way, there can and should be a decentralized network of AIs, which isn't owned or controlled by any particular centralized entity and which can then, you know, leverage the efforts of anyone all around the world who knows how to create AI or who knows how to use AI. And can you know, can reward anyone who contributes to that ai network and this this can be a different way of organizing ai code and the community of ai developers and users than the the currently predominant way of organizing ai code and users which is via say google and and Amazon and the and handful of big tech companies so I mean that's you know we haven't yet gotten the level of traction and adoption for singularity net that Linux or the internet has right so it certainly is still the, it's still at it's still at the early stage but I mean the the concept that AI should be governed by a decentralized network
0: just like computer networking and operating systems are,
1: I think is, is, is very
0: natural. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like the idea that you highlight that you hate a disease and you need people to be more, more compassionate and that idea comes behind developing a robot with AGI in the future. So if we ask about Sophia robot, because yeah, if first of all, if you can define for people what's actually the upcoming version for Sophia. Um, that's first thing we would like to know. What what is the next update or version of of the of Sophia robot?
1: Yeah, so the Sophia robot was created by my good friend David Hansen. who's just an uh, an amazing sculptor and artist who became passionate to bring his sculptures to life and make them more and more lifelike and more and more intelligent and. I, I worked intensively for three and a half to four years with David. I'm getting more and more intelligence into the Sophia robot and the, and the other Han robots, like his Albert Einstein the other Hansen robots, like Albert Einstein robot and the Han robot and, and, and so forth. And we're still collaborating and we're hoping uh, this summer to premiere some singularity net AI, adding another level of intelligence to the to the to the Sophia robot. So I mean, Sophia now has a combination of a bunch of different AI subsystems. And I mean, there's neural nets for computer vision and for emotional expression making on 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 the face, and there's there's some deep neural nets for uh, verbal response generation combined with this uh, Hanson AI system that we made in in Hanson Robotics that expresses Sophia's personality using like a custom computational narrative storytelling system. So there's a lot of pieces there that all, all connect together. It's not, it's not like a pure learning system, it's a mix of many different learning algorithms with some some rules created by, by human authors and all, all these different components connected together to create this artificial personality, an artificial person. But yeah, we what we're what we're working on now is getting just more and more learning and and reasoning in there using uh, some of our singularity net. Neural symbolic AI tools. And I mean, the, the, the ultimate goal, of course, is to have Sophia fully understand everything she's saying, in the same way a human does. And, and uh, you know, ultimately better, we're, we're certainly not there yet. But she understands more than she did three years ago. And when we roll more of, uh, singularity net AI into her this summer, then she'll understand more than she does right now. I mean, right, yeah. Right now, this uh, COVID-19 issue mm-hmm. is uh, disrupting various development schedules. Yeah. So, because like so, some of the conferences we were going to premiere the upgraded version of Sophia's intelligence at, they may end up being deferred to the fall or something. But uh, mm-hmm. and, and anyway. We're, we're, we're still working on on, on, this, on the software for, for upgrading your intelligence.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, I would like to ask about the rule of Sophia, because it's said that we can use it for meditation and helping people. However, on the other side, there's some people who speak with some colleagues, or, um, they think there's a lot of hype around Sophia and like granting nationality. Um, how do you respond to this kind of uh, people say that just... Uh, Sophia can destroy people, and there's a lot of. Uh, with, uh, uh, I mean, ad. there's a lot of,
1: there's a lot of hype around Sophia. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of hype around a lot of things. I mean, that's what that's uh, that's what the world does, right? The, mm-hmm. the, world, the world of media likes to hype things, and if you if you're in the business of building interesting things, you know sometimes. There'll be people out there saying what you're doing is garbage sometimes there will be people out there saying what you're doing is even better than it actually is and sometimes they'll be saying all mm. sorts of uh random twisted things you have no idea where they came from i mean to to me the only way to do deal with that is just uh just keep on building stuff and and, and yeah. doing stuff i mean people will people will say what they what they feel like i mean i, I know Some people in the AI community were annoyed because some naive people believed that Sophia really was an artificial general intelligence. And I mean, of course she's not yet at at that stage. You know, none of us ever said she was at that stage and it's unfortunate that people believe that. But I mean, you know, if people pick up the phone and they get an automated customer support agent and they think, that thing understands what they're saying I mean that's 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 also unfortunate but people adjust and adapt to the technologies around them right so I mean I think once once we have robots like Sophia that are rolled out with millions of them worldwide you know helping people in in homes and offices and, and retail establishments I mean I think then people will get, Quite used to the fact that, well, initially these things aren't as generally intelligent as people. In some ways, they know more than people. In other ways, they know less than people. But but they're but they're different. And then, you know, due to the emotional engagement that these robots can can bring, due to their expressive faces and their their character AI. I mean, due to this emotional engagement people may come to enjoy the process of of teaching them and going through experiences with them and helping them get get more and more general intelligence. So, I mean, I I think in the end, a lot of people want human-like robots such as Sophia that they can relate to emotionally and that they can learn from and and teach. And some people some people won't like it but that's i mean that's 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 all right too i mean my, my grandfather who's passed away now he never wanted to use an atm he, he had to, he had to get his money from the, the person in the bank right so not 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 everyone has to like our robot but there's certainly very high demand for for robots of, of that nature so I, I look forward to to getting the production engineering done so we can scale up manufacturing and, and you know roll out Millions of Sophia type robots all around the world.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think this is a very interesting point about uh, the hype, and because I think that's issue really we have in the field, uh, the robotics or AI field, when we see people acclaim that this is the right thing, and you have to shift direction and attention of the community. Because I, I, I never see kind of reply, or do you think there's a lot, a lot of like uh, shifting directions? Uh, do you think this is a serious issue, or it's okay, because I, there's a lot of people starting to enter the field, uh, including myself, I mean, I, so...
1: I think uh, the media and the general population will say a lot of extreme and incorrect things about every topic. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of extreme and incorrect things said about AI... There also are about oh let's say global warming or or uh, national healthcare almost almost anything that that you could name that, that people interact with. There's crazy extreme things said about. So I think uh, the technology keeps developing anyway, right? And uh, and technology will 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 keep on developing. And then the, the pretty much the noise follows the technology rather than rather than vice versa so i'm i'm uh, i'm I'm not really too worried about hype or disillusion following the hype i think i think the hype itself is overhyped you know there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people asking me in interviews about ai winter and you know during your career did the the hype of AI rise and fall and rise and fall. Did this influence your career? Were you were you unemployed during the AI winter? But the bottom line is, like, if you look at the research literature of AI since the 1950s, there's been a steady stream of research, a steady stream of, of papers, and you know, ongoing improvements and 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 accomplishments. So mm-hmm. I think I think that the hype is overhyped and the the progress has been pretty steady and impressive and will will continue to be and you know people will be confused by what's unfamiliar and right now ai systems are just an unfamiliar kind of thing like they're not intelligent in quite the way that people are and yet they're not stupid in the way that like a a brick or or a table or a traditional motor car is right they're they're like a they're a new kind of system which is really smart by human standards in some ways and really dumb by human standards in other ways and and furthermore it's changing every year right like Mm. alexa today can respond to a whole bunch of commands it couldn't last year like it's insane how much that has improved like google translate now can translate all sorts of common sense things in all sorts of languages. Two years ago, it totally couldn't, right? So not only are these different than what people have ever encountered before or were brought up to deal with, they're different today than they were like last month, right? So it's just, it's gonna generate a lot of a lot of confusion. So I think it, everyone had better get used to being very confused all the time. technology technology's mm-hmm. gonna keep getting, Faster and faster and faster in the pace of development, which means whatever, whatever we got used to, will we'll be obsolete a, 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 a few months later, and uh, mm. that's the, that's the reality we're going to have to deal with.
0: Yeah. So um, I would like to ask you about your uh, attitude according to self-driving car because uh, recently we see a lot of debates between uh, the leading researchers in the field. Whether the with this idea or against, and for people like us and me starting still in the field, we feel confused about who we have to go with or how to make the, to be in the right standing position. Because some people say that any significant decision uh, shouldn't be done by a machine, it has to be by a human being. And we see a lot of like incidents in Tesla car, they have hitting people, and even in Google or Swymo, we have also a problem in identifying certain uh, cross-sections. So that's kind of issue. Uh, I think it's affecting us for people starting to enter the field or also lay people outside the field. H- how do you see this kind of debate? And do you agree with this kind of we have to go for having silver driving car, for example? Like Elon Musk is doing that. And there's a lot of people promoting this idea for you. How well, you I see the situation
1: it's, obvious, it's been obvious a long time we're gonna have self-driving cars I yeah that's not gonna it's not gonna seem any more outrageous than, than an elevator or something yeah. is, I mean we we've had self-driving elevators a long time known as to our outrage by not having a human a human being like uh, controlling the elevator you push a button it goes where you want to go right so mean I, I don't I don't think self-driving cars are going to be. Interesting to people mm-hmm. anymore than elevator or like the automated monorail at, 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 at the at the airport, right? I mean, it's it's psychologically weird to people who grew up driving for themselves. But I mean, you know, I, I I grew up washing dishes for myself. Then we got a dishwasher, and then we can we can cope with that. We can cope with that just just fine now. So I I think uh, that there, there's going to be other things more disturbing than self-driving cars, certainly. I mean, we're going to see one after another function that, that's traditionally done by by humans get mm. taken over by, by AIs. And I, I guess, I think young people who grow up around mm-hmm. AIs carrying out all the practical functions for them are going to just think that's very very natural and and the way it should be like i i mean i grew up thinking it was natural to use a sewing machine to sew clothes i didn't think it was bizarre and unnatural not to have to sew them by hand right and i mean now on the other hand my kids think a sewing machine is weird because why why you sew something yourself instead of just buying it in the store right so i mean i think to older people who grew up you know identifying themselves with the the work that they did which is work that now can be done better by by machines and who grew up you know with the social life that is wrapped, wrapped around their work or wrapped around interactions with, with other people at work like the you know the bartender pouring your drinks at, at, at a bar or the, or the person at the cashier at the local Corner store or something. People who were psychologically adapted to a society defined by humans working for a living. I mean, some of these people may have a very hard time adapting to to new ways of doing things. And uh, I mean, that that is it's an unprecedented situation in that we've, humanity has changed a lot, but it hasn't before seen. So much change within the within the same generation, right? I mean, my mm-hmm. my my father, who was a sociologist, liked to quote the saying that science advances one funeral at a time, meaning that the old scientists never change their mind, but they you know they retire and they die and they're replaced by new scientists who can come up with new ideas, and you know that sort of principle that progress happens when new people are born and the old ones die. Like, that that can't be the way in the next few decades because progress is happening faster than people get old and die. And, and plus, scientific progress will help us live longer and longer. We're going to get radical longevity, right? So, so, you know, people are going to need to learn to adapt to radical change of all sorts, including radical change in the area of... Uh, You know what people do for themselves versus what machines do but once it's all sorted out i think it will be much happier i mean there's there's better things to do than you know operate the controls of the of the motor vehicle or scrub the scum off the dishes in 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 your sink or or mopping your floor or you know typing in a a letter to send from your company to another company i mean once once robots and AIs are doing all these things, people can occupy themselves with uh, with things that are much more fun—social, you know, uh, artistic, athletic, sp- spiritual pursuits. we doing whatever they feel like. And, uh, at that point, people will look back with amazement that their predecessors had to you know, waste all their time tediously working for a living instead of doing rewarding things, and had to sit in the car. Like pushing a button with their foot and turning this wheel back and forth with their hands, instead of doing something more entertaining in the car while the car drove itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So coming back to the idea of um, the use of AI as a tools or by government or certain countries, because some people feel that we don't have to fully trust uh, the intentions because in a way or another every day we see advanced and some companies or certain nations dominate these tools and we have to be scummed to use these tools or force it because it's going this this is how our life will come ch- changing in that way so if I ask you in terms of singularity net because you have different demographic locations people contributing in this service so, how you make sure this is not going to be affected by the regions or the intentions how you can make sure this happens
1: i mean you can't, certainly you can't trust anything fully in the in, 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 the, in this world right and, and i mean software and hardware tools made by big tech companies that are allied closely with, with uh, big governments. I mean, these these can't fully be trusted in the sense that they can, they can be configured with back doors, their machine learning can be adjusted to cause you to do certain things uh, unconsciously that you don't want to do consciously and don't know that you're doing. I mean, they're, they're, there can be all, all sorts of... Uh, nasty things from the technology that that you use. And there's no absolute defense against this. I think that open networks give you a better defense against this than anything else. So you look at like the Linux code base. Now, I have not read every line of the Linux code base. I could, but it would take me a long time. And then I'd have to keep up with all the revisions. On the other hand, There is a community of geeks out there Mm -hmm. who are looking at different lines of code put into the Linux kernel in different parts of the the code base. And I know some of those people on the Linux kernel team, right, so that I know how they communicate with each other. I know that if some weird spyware backdoor were put into the Linux kernel, a bunch of these people would scream about it. And if these people all disappeared from their house in the middle of the night their wives would post it or their husbands would post it online right so i mean they're associated with these open systems there is a social dynamic that gives you some measure of of protection against nasty things being done by you know small groups with selfish intent and of resources and similar protections don't exist with centralized systems like large corporations or, or, or governments and so i think to the extent that powerful ai is rolled out open source but also within decentralized deployed networks and running with model strength and open data sets i mean i think we'll have a higher degree of
0: protection against nasty things being done. Mm -hmm.
1: But you won't get you won't get an absolute protection in any case.
0: That's very interesting. So I would like to ask you how we can ensure that the developer robotics or AI tools or services is going to be beneficial to humanity as a whole. Is this terms of academia, industry, how how they can make sure from the beginning in research, in academia or industry?
1: I mean, we can't make sure of hardly anything as regards the future of technology. We certainly can't make sure that AI is going to be beneficial. On the other hand, we can certainly bias the odds in our favor, and I think we can do that by... Creating open systems with open source and open data by deploying our systems on networks that aren't controlled by large monolithic organizations, and then by applying our early stage AI systems to you know, beneficial and, and helpful things. I mean, we, we should have more AI doctors and teachers and scientists and, you know, medication coaches, uh, psychotherapists and artists. And we should have fewer AIs that are involved with spying on people, killing people, selling people stuff they don't need and, uh, fleecing ordinary people out of their money via algorithmic trading. And I mean, if, if we have, a greater percentage of AIs doing things that are broadly beneficial instead of things that are oriented just to benefit one small group of the population at the cost of others, I mean, then the odds seem higher that as our AIs evolve toward general intelligence, they will continue to be beneficial to people.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to ask you about Sophia Roberts and other humanoid robots as well. So sure. I'm, I'm I'm just curious about this attachment because I don't know if you agree in, in, in like China or Japan, they have more attachment to a robot like that. However, uh, when we, for example, I spoke with some kids and show them the humanoid robots and they were freaking out to have a robot resemble them. Some of them, not all of them, but a majority doesn't like the idea that a mm-hmm. robot resembles them. I don't know how do you see this kind of, it's like a psychology or, and also some people are afraid about uh, having a, like a robotic teacher or a anchor woman, a robotic anchor woman. It's kind of a replacement human being or how do you see this kind of dialogue well, is happening?
1: In my experience, traveling around with the Sophia robot, all around the world, in in the West and the East and in in Africa and in Central Asia. I mean, my experience is when people meet Sophia Mm -hmm. face-to-face, talk to the robot, they almost always come away with a a good and, and positive feeling and are not creeped out by her. So I, I think that concept exists, and that reaction exists more often on the video and not so much face to face with the robot, which is really a testament to David Hansen's you know, design wizardry in, in, in creating the, the, the Sophia robot. I mean, I think he did he did an amazing job of making her a warm, loving, and and. Uh, personable robot creation and i've i mean i've seen the opposite with, with other robots so i mean i had that the philip k dick robot which is another robot that david henson made simulator of the robot philip k dick when we were testing the philip k dick robot at the university of louisville in kentucky we were testing it without the body so we're just holding this uh this robot head with no body in our hands and it's talking and, and looking around and testing the software and my, my baby son, who was one year old at the time, I mean, he saw that that robot head without he a body talking and he's just, ah, <laughs> completely, completely freaking out. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> he made us turn the robot off. Right? Yeah. But that, that definitely was the uncanny valley. Like it looks like. Someone's head without a body. He really weird faces and topic mm. He didn't like, but he loves Sophia.
0: How to make sure the company robotics or AI company is successful? Because we heard the Star Sky Robotics already shut down in March two thousand and twenty. So if we we take it as a listen, how we can make sure the company is successful?
1: Well, robotics and AI are very different businesses. Right? Mm. I mean in In AI, you're building software, and of course, software can be infinitely replicated once it's initially programmed, and the same AI software can often be applied in in many, many different vertical markets, right? So I think when you're building AI software, you can really have a very agile business where the same code and, and the same people can be deployed to many different problems. So I, I think uh, AI is a very, very robust thing to do from a business standpoint in that sense. Your AI code can can be used very flexibly. Robot, robots, it's much trickier, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the whole manufacturing cycle to deal with. you deal dealing with supply chains and Factories, and then you have to decide on your design often before you've had a lot of users use it, and then commit to making a lot of stuff in the in the factory, and then you put it out there and see how it's received. So there's just a lot of there's a lot of fixed costs involved still in, in creating robots, and you can't. You can't have the same rapid cycles of uh, putting stuff out there, seeing how it's received then changing and adapting and improving it in, in, in an agile way. So mm-hmm. I, I think you know not until you can really inexpensively 3D print sophisticated robots or something like that are you going to see robotics become as uh, as appealing from a business standpoint as uh, as AI software, but still, I mean, the, the markets are there, right? As the technology advances, it's going to get easier and easier to address them. I mean, right now, industrial robots obviously are a huge and very successful sector, but uh, social robots, which is the area I've worked on most, hasn't really made it big time and i mean we've been working with Sophia and then there has been a while and we haven't yet rolled them out at a large at a large scale either but i think uh you know factories are getting better and better and it's getting cheaper and cheaper to reconfigure a factory to build a new type of, of product so that the fixed cost is getting lower so i think uh yeah, as the manufacturing ecosystems get more and more streamlined, it's going to get, going to get better and better, but it's yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's tricky. I mean, so- software has many nice features to it, no, no doubt.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're coming to the last two questions. What is the best advice was given to you uh, personally, professionally, and you would like uh, to share?
1: Best advice that was ever given to me? Well, I think I, uh, I wrote a letter to the philosopher uh, Paul Feyerabend, who was a great hero of mine when I was 18, asking him uh, to be my PhD supervisor, to get a PhD in philosophy. And he, he advised me not to get a PhD in philosophy. He's like, <laughs> if you want to do philosophy, uh, don't become a philosophy professor. Just, uh, you know, do science or engineering do something real and you can evolve your philosophical understanding as you as you as you go along in the context of doing stuff and i think that's worked out quite well like i've i've been very driven by understanding what intelligence is what what the mind is how the world works but yeah evolving your understanding of things while building and, and doing things seems a yeah, a, a very effective approach, and unfortunately, he passed away before I ever met him face to face. He would, be, would have been a fun guy to get to know. But mm. anyway, yeah, that was that—that that was a useful piece of, of advice back yeah. in uh, oh I don't know ni- nineteen eighty four or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, great. So, you have any final words you would like uh, to? Uh, Say about robotics AI right, for our community. Final words.
1: Um, I, I. The only thing I would I would like to do is encourage uh, anyone who is getting into the AI and, and the robotics uh, field to, you know, consider putting your energy into open source and. Uh, decentralized open source and decentralized to to consider putting your energy into open source and decentralized AI and and robotics projects. I mean this is this is a time in history in which work on AI and robotics is you know actually progressing incredibly fast. So the people who go into the field may be able to make a huge impact on on the world we all live in, which is, is amazing and exciting, but it, it also means there's some, some responsibility there. So I mean, the, the more people work on AI doctors and teachers and scientists and artists, instead of uh, spyware and weapons and advertising systems, the, 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 be, the better off we'll be.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much, and above IEEE, ieee arrest. I would like to have your time. It was such an honor to have you. Thank you.
1: All right. Yeah. Th- th- thanks a lot. so uh, our- i